following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. It is Minute 97 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how are you? Well, I'm feeling very nuptial today. It's a fine day for a white wedding. That's the song we're going to use, isn't it? All right. I hope I remember that by the end of this. All right. We have, again, an amazing guest. I'm so excited, and uh, this is, uh, um, it's going to be a late night because I just asked too many questions in the green room before episodes, um, but, but Eric, who is back with us today? We have professional animator Rob Pratt. Welcome back, <laughs> Rob. Thank you. Thank you. Really excited to have you uh, back again. Uh, you, you know, Rob, you, you obviously have a great affection uh, for the character of Flash Gordon, you did your amazing Flash Gordon uh, fan fan film, uh, d- d- your, your animated short, um, dealing with some of the characters that, um, you know, obviously having Flash, uh, Zarkov, and Aura, uh, and Dale heavily featured in your short. Uh, no, no Voltan. Was that hard? Was it hard not to have Voltan in there? Yeah, it was. It, and, um, God, because what a great character. And then it would have been getting the right voice for him. And, you know, I did have to have a little sneak peek at the, at the Hawkman at the end. Um, I definitely have other ideas for little shorts that I want to do. And while I had Eric Johnson uh, recording Flash Gordon's voice, I did give him like extra lines that were kind of um, ambiguous. Like you, they could be put in any situation, like kind of football player uh, lines. And then I thought, well, okay, so if I have another chapter, I can have, Maybe Dale and Zarkov can carry the plot, and then Flash Gordon can always insert kind of like a, a football player line there. And um, definitely Voltan would be one that I'd want to do eventually. Very cool. Yeah, um, and we will talk uh, especially a lot more tomorrow about your, your short film, and we just want to give a little tease. But, uh, yeah, you were able to get Eric Johnson, who played Flash Gordon in the what was it, the, the Sci-Fi Network uh, uh, series that ran for a season. Right, yeah, yeah. It was great to get him. I thought his voice sounded fantastic. Did a great job. We recommend everyone check out uh, your YouTube page and uh, check out Flash Gordon Classic because uh, it, is, it is amazing. And Perhaps one day we'll, we'll do a minute by minute. It would be a short, short show. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> our debut week and our ending week. But, uh, but that's not what we're doing right now. Right now we are doing uh, Minute 97. So, so Eric, what, what happens here? Uh, well, we pick it up where we left off yesterday. Voltan and Flash uh, in the cockpit of War Rocket Ajax. Voltan's finishing explaining the plan, how after Ajax crashes the energy shield, knocks it out, Hawkman will zoom right in and start uh, creating havoc. So Voltan says, ah, huh, let's, let's see what uh, Ming's saying. Let's listen to the radio uh, as we're in the middle of this big battle. Let's turn on the radio now. And we hear what we hinted at yesterday, a very earth-sounding song, The Wedding March, a.k.a. Bridal Chorus Instrumental by Wagner, this version arranged by the great Brian May. Everything's crazy about this. Just 
you know, first off, hey, let's 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 hear what's on the radio as if he's going to check to see, you know, the, the, he he just wanted to hear Howard Stern or something, <laughs> see if this has XM. <laughs> and, and of course, there's no reason for this for there's no reason for this song to be playing. So I have I have a no prize explanation here. I know I've done this in previous minutes, and I've got it. I'm gonna say that the reason that we've get this because this song this is diegetic music. This music is playing in Mongo City. This is not background music like most of the Queen soundtrack uh, has been because they're hearing the song over the radio. So we right, know it. And Flash says, "Oh my god!" Right, and Flash says, "Oh my god!" So he knows exactly what it means. Here's my no prize explanation: Ming's house band has been monitoring Earth during these last few days. They heard this song over some airwaves and decided to adapt it for Ming's wedding to Dale. That's as good a reason as any. Yeah, makes sense to me. You know, and with sci-fi, hey, you know, it's nice to have an explanation. But sometimes you just got to roll with it. It's the whole thing and, you know, the, the whole thing of the universal translator because, you know, why do they speak English? Uh, and they they deal with that all the time in Star Trek and Star, you know, well, not even Star Wars, but just Star Trek. And even up until recently with the, more recently with the, the Guardians of the Galaxy films where, you know, everyone speaks English. And apparently if you... Watch real close an early scene in the first Guardians movie when uh, they're sort of reviewing the data on um, Star Lord and the other characters. It 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 shows that it, the the stats on him say that he has a translator implant or something like that. So you know it, you don't really need to have a great explanation. Just as long as you know you can always think sort of no prize your way up to something like that. So yeah, but it it is funny. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the the song is so awesome. I mean, Brian May just just kills this song. It is just so great. Um, I know we talked uh, with uh, uh, last week's guest uh, decided to bring the song up early, and we t- we talked about you know uh, the potential of people actually wanting to use this song in their wedding. And I, I admitted that I, I seriously, you know, sort of well half seriously mentioned it to my wife um and, and but never really would have had the guts to go through with it uh but my question is as as great as it is and as much as it lets you know exactly what's happening does the fact that it is a famous earth song does it take the audience out of the movie for a minute because we know it's going to be a wedding it's been talked about already that dale's going to marry ming uh, we're about to see in a minute that she's being forced down the aisle. We know what's going on with the plot. Did it? Did did they have? Was it a smart choice? I guess is what I'm asking to use this song, or should there have been just another original Queen uh, composition put together for this scene? It's, it's funny. Like, where do you draw the line? You know, I think The Simpsons made fun of it in one of their holiday specials with those alien guys. And somebody uh, talking to those big alien monsters that are in the tube and said, oh, you, you speak English. And even the aliens went, oh, actually, I'm speaking Rigel 6. But by pure coincidence, it's the same exact. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, where do you draw the line? Because they're all speaking English and they all, you know, uh, for the story to work, you just have to have things that are like relatable, I guess. I think you can't have anything else. Because here comes the bride. It's it's just 
it's just in our head that's what should be playing. And if they played anything else, it wouldn't. It, it would sound weird. It would take. It would. Oddly enough, having something to be more accurate, like having the the mink, the, the mongo mash or whatever they would have, it would completely take you out of the moment. I think either you have to do this song, or you just have to have the scene showing them at the altar. Just skip that part. But then that doesn't work in the context of the scene because the the big pop of the scene is. Flash turning on the radio, or, or the, probably the radio being turned on, and Flash is like, I know what that means. You know, it's, the scene really only works that way. And, yeah. And uh, you know what? Why the hell not? It's already a ridiculous movie. Were, yeah, exactly. If it made sense, it would throw us off. Yeah, it actually, yeah, like, yeah, you know, you'll always bring up Star Wars when you bring up Flash Gordon because they're, you know, Star Wars is kind of birthed out of Flash. When they did those special edition Star Wars and they started putting like little alien codes on all the uh, control panels, it actually distracted me because when it was just written in English, I didn't think about it. Right, right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I get, I get world building, but you really have to commit to it to make it work. So you have to do something like what. Um, uh, James Cameron did with Avatar, where he, you know he he was building up everything from the plants to the uh, the language to the design and to the way they would use a bow and arrow. Um, so really committed to it. So you actually you either have to do that where you're completely building everything up from ground zero, or you know, or you do this. It's like ah, oh, you know. Play the right, just play the, the, the wedding march. People know what it means, and no one's going to think about it because they're having too much fun. It, you know, it, it works because everyone's enjoying themselves so much. You don't think about it until you know the the hundredth viewing is like, wait a minute, that that shouldn't be there. And, you know, by that point, they already got our money. Even that concept of a ticking clock—you got to get there before they're married, because once they're married, th- that's it. Well, so that brings up an interesting point. What there's no real stakes to the timing of the wedding. I mean, the movie's tensions from how much time is left until the Earth is destroyed. I mean, if they right. say if they save Dale ten minutes after the wedding ceremony to Ming is done, I mean, it, it doesn't really make a difference. You know that they we've already got the tension in the movie of is Flash going to save the Earth? Is Flash going to defeat Ming? They're adding in this second tension plot that that is good to have. Of oh, Dale doesn't want to marry Ming. That works. But it's adding the countdown clock to it, sort yeah. of. It, it, that doesn't really make any sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, just having the wedding to get everyone in the same place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so as this wedding's happened, we see R again. Hey, tell me if I'm wrong. R has changed clothes again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, she had. Didn't, she had. I mean, she wasn't going to wear her break Baron and Zarkov out of prison outfit to her uh, father's wedding. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. What am I? What am I? A monster? <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of what things people are wearing, uh, uh, Melody Anderson uh, complained that her wedding dress weighed 33 pounds. There's, and there's no way Melody Anderson was weighing more than a buck ten. Right, yeah. Like a third of her weight. Gracious, it, it's uh, suffering for her art. Uh, the guy, one thing, I feel like there must have been a, a, a scene cut because the last time we see Ara, she's running around, she's letting people, she's helping people escape. She's actually running to go to the wedding, 
And now she's like prisoner again and getting dragged into this. It's like, but it seems like she was pretty willing to, to, to attend. I, I'm not sure why she's getting dragged and you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. pet little person's being dragged behind them. It's like, I, where's this coming from? Yeah, the Fellini being dragged makes absolutely no sense because he's been led on a leash by Aura all the, the entire movie. I mean, what's the difference of who's pulling on his chain? You know, I mean, he, he's been a, a pet the whole movie anyway. So I, that, that doesn't even make any sense trying to say, look, Fellini's being pulled on the chain, too. It's like, well, yeah, that's what Aura was doing when we first saw her. That's kind of his thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah, but you know, God bless him. Another costume. The the costumer earned their keep on this film uh, because we, you know, that's what we should have been on. We we should have been doing an Aura costume count. Oh, <laughs> damn! Now we get Brad. Now we got to go back to minute zero and start all over again. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> uh, that'll be our George Lucas uh, re-release. Well, I just I like the little moment there between Dale and Aura, the little handhold they give each other as they walk by each other. It shows that the scene from earlier, uh, when the two of them uh, were talking after they beat each other up with the pillows, uh, it shows that they really both were legitimately sincere. That you know they they have formed a bond between the two of them, and so it's a nice touch. Hey, that is, and especially, you know, sometimes they don't seem to remember stuff that happens from one minute to the next in this movie. Uh, especially when it comes to uh, Dale, uh, thinking about her being able to beat up the entire pig army uh, 20 minutes ago and then being helpless before and after. Um, it, it is nice that they sh- sort of show that that bond has been solidified. So, yeah, I, I caught that too. It was a sort of a nice moment that they got to have with each other. This minute also has what, if I, if I think hard about it, probably is my favorite sight gag of the entire movie. The rocket ship flying by in the sky telling everybody all creatures will make merry and then the ship flying right behind it under pain of death. I <laughs> love that. You don't really see the first ship leave to let you know that it's a different ship the next time. So you could think it's, well, is that the same ship, but it just, it's back in time a little bit. <laughs> it's so cool. And it's such a great little visual gag. And, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing that I'm pretty sure was not in the script. That, that's just, you know, the director saying, oh, you know what would be fun? And, uh, it, and it is. And it is. And it's great. And it's, it's perfect sort of what dictators do. Um, so, you know, I, I, uh, I just recently started listening to the podcast uh, Behind the Bastards. Are you guys familiar with this? No. No. Uh, wonderful podcast where they talk about basically the evil crap that the worst people in history do. So they talked about Saddam Hussein and, you know, uh, how crazy his sons were and stuff like that. And, you know, I, 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 they, they always do, uh, you know, real life terrible people. I would love to hear it behind the bastards on Ming. It, it's, uh, that'd be great. Just all the crazy stuff like, you know, on pain of death, you will celebrate and everyone will be happy. And, you know, all the... The great little malicious, malignant things that Ming does throughout this movie, and uh, you know we've talked before. Uh, love to see you know that Flash Gordon prequel just focused on Ming because uh, there's some just great, crazy, malicious stuff, and that that is such a great example of the careless, nonchalant evil of this character. Well, I wonder with Clytus dead and Kala occupied with uh, 
the Flash and, and the Hawkman approaching. War Rocket Ajax is out being taken over. Uh, the guy in charge of the, the battle room, he's focused on War Rocket Ajax. So who actually placed the order to have those ships flying by with those signs? I mean, you know, this is the Mongo equivalent of... Uh, the planes flying with the Geico ads when you're on the beach in the summer. <laughs> well, you know what? I think Ming gets married a lot. <laughs> so it's just probably like a standing order. It's like, listen, whenever he gets married, just fly those out. It's like, we didn't really get an order for this. It's like, just trust me. Uh, that's what I got for this minute. I just uh, I left out one tidbit about uh, the Brian May arrangement of the wedding march. This is actually the shortest song on the soundtrack. comes in at only 56 seconds. I, I uh, always get a kick of the, the wedding march. I, if I'm, my history is right on that. It's, it's pretty funny because it's something you very much associate with, um, you know, weddings and stuff. And I know that so, it's some churches and some organs refuse to play it because it's considered to be too secular. And um, I, I always, always sort of find the history of that, like the things that you most associate with weddings. And in real life, often, it, and still to this day, I think some groups don't allow that to be played and it, it, it would be weird i think i have been at a wedding where it was not played i'm like what what the hell is this brad did <laughs> you say history lesson I, I i i did so would you like a history lesson on the bridal chorus instrumental i i would i would <laughs> so the bridal chorus comes from the opera lohengrin by wagner and in german it is and I don't know German, so apologize, all German listeners, but it's Schulich Gefurt. Yeah, that sounds German. Thank you. It became popular because in 1858, it was used at the wedding of Victoria, the Princess Royal, to Prince Frederick William of Prussia. Victoria was the daughter of Queen Victoria, and these two people would become the parents of one Kaiser Wilhelm, who, of course, was a big part of World War I. Now, as you hinted at, uh, not everybody is a big fan of this song anymore, and it's uh, a, a couple of different religions specifically. So um, Wagner was widely known for writing hundreds of pages of anti-Semitic essays, and he was also one of Hitler's favorite composers. And the Nazi party featured Wagner's music prominently at its events, so uh, you're essentially never going to hear this song at a Jewish wedding. Uh, mm -hmm. Modern Jews have rejected anything by Wagner. But then also the Roman Catholic Church generally doesn't use the bridal chorus. And Brad, this is what you were getting at. Um, I found online the San Diego Diocese said it's because it is considered secular. Uh, in the opera the song comes from, it's, it's not used as a processional toward the altar. So that's not what purpose it actually serves in its original source. And at this point, it's become used so much in pop culture that it's associated more with sentimentality instead of the worship that should be coming on. Uh, from a wedding. So it's it's one of those things that, while yes, in America it's become Here Comes the Bride uh, and it traditionally has been uh, used a lot, it seems that over the course of years it's fading out and to eventually I, I think you're not going to see it that much anymore at some point in the future. In, in the original narrative, it's actually supposed to take place after the wedding. It's sort of like a, a more about what happens after the wedding. And uh, Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's it. Now everyone leaves here learning a little more. Rob, this has been a, a, another fantastic uh, minute with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. So um, talk to us a little bit. You know, you, yesterday you, 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 you um, 
shared with us uh, a little bit about your 2D work. Um, and wanted to ask you real quick about you did Superman Classic. Uh, talk a little bit about that fantastic piece of entertainment. Oh, thank you. I've loved Superman since I can remember. When I was a little kid, it was before the Reeve movies. I was already watching the Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. I remember the first time I saw a newspaper showing Christopher Reeve, and I went, oh, my God, this guy looks exactly like Superman. Um, I, I loved him that, that this whole time. And so, you know, in animation, it's, it can be a rough career. It's the best career for me, but you worry when a job ends, you have to worry about the next job. And you go through ups and downs. Some jobs are more fulfilling than others. And then um, I was going through a really rough spot where I was jealous of other people that were getting opportunities that I thought I deserved. And I was getting this really ugly place, and I didn't like being that way. At that time, I went to a Halloween event, and I met John Newton, who played Superboy in the 80s, and I recognized him, and I introduced myself, and it was such a positive experience, and John's such a great guy, and we hit it off immediately, and I thought, you know, all this negative energy I've got, I've got to do something positive, and I thought I had a layoff coming. The layoff never did happen, but I thought it was coming, and I thought, I'm, I'm still going to wake up at 8 in the morning and, every, and work on something every day. I'm going to make a Superman short, like the, what I love about Superman. It'll be kind of like the Fleischer shorts, where it's in World War II era, but then they didn't have the Christopher Reeve pushing the glasses up on his nose. Um, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the things that I love about Superman. And I kind of pitched it to John. And right away, John offered to do the voice. And his, his wife, Jennifer, uh, wanted to do Lois Lane. And she's fantastic. And so I just, um, I've always loved, of course, the John Williams music. But I found that music from the Kirk Allen serials. And I thought, wow, what like dramatic, great music. And it's about a minute long. I could probably animate about a minute. And I'll handle it like um, like Fantasia, where you have the music first and kind of sync your movement to it as if it was scored later, but it's really backwards. So I kind of got that music set, listened to it a million times and started picturing things. And, you know, of course, there's that nod to Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow that had those big robots in it. And I always wish Superman would show up in those movies. And um, so I just kind of started pecking away at it and animating and animating. And I had it alone for a year because I, I, I never did get laid off, and it ended up just being something I did at night when everyone went to sleep. And um, so a year later, I had this thing, and I'd shown close friends, and I thought, well, I'm going to post it. And I didn't know what it would do, and it exploded because of all the Superman blog sites were blogging about it. And it just ended up being the most positive experience and a time in my life where I felt like, wow, what a great thing to not be stuck in this negative thought, do something positive, and then all this positivity came back, and it was just the greatest thing. And, and um, I'm really proud of the uh, short, and I'm really happy when people appreciate it, because it was a lot of work. It's probably about 1,600 drawings, I'm, I'm guessing. And it's not just doing the drawings. It's scanning each drawing. It's coloring each drawing. It's a tremendous amount of work. So wh whenever anybody has something nice to say about it, it makes me feel so good. So thank you for bringing it up. Uh, I really loved it, and uh, t here's a little thing. John Newton, who played S Clark Kent Superboy in the first season of the Superboy show uh, from the, the late 80s, and he did a great job because it was a very different take on it where it was Clark Kent not as nerdy Clark Kent who was hiding himself. It was actually sort of a, a very different take where it was Clark Kent as... A normal college kid, and it was very adult, and he it, it's sort of something similar to what they ended up doing later with the Lois and Clark TV show. Right. 
I really liked his interpretation. I was very disappointed where, and I don't want to go too deep into this, where he ended up, uh, they replaced him and went with a more stereotypical geeky Clark Kent. I didn't like that switch. Um, but yeah, he, he was, they, they got great uh, voice performances. So uh, yeah, I recommend everyone check that out. Uh, where, can, uh, where can they watch that in your other uh, shorts? Yep, Superman Classic. If you just type it in YouTube, it, it should be one of the first things that pops up. Um, and just think of, like, Coke Classic, but it's Superman Classic. I recommend everyone check it out. Uh, Eric, where can people check out uh, Flash Gordon Minute? Check us out on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute listeners vortex to chat with us, or on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod, or on email, Minute at gmail.com. We ask everyone for their ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, as we always say, the more ratings and reviews we get on iTunes, the more visibility we get, and the more people that can join the fun. Um, Eric, this has been another great minute. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, so, some fun, cool stuff tomorrow, including finger wiggling from Ming. <laughs> See, that comes back. But uh, but I, uh, I'm actually really frightened, though. Oh. We just... Really pushed uh, how everyone should see Watch Superman Classic. It's it's amazing. It's great. Perfect piece of art. And uh, in my concern, uh, in my opinion, and really just an amazing job of showing Superman is his best. The problem is, this short does reveal, and uh, I, I hate to, to, to spoil alert, Superman is Clark Kent. <laughs> so what's going to happen if Lex Luthor sees this? <laughs> Well, uh, listen, uh, you know, we're in a day and age now where uh, I'm pretty sure Peter Parker is the only person with a uh, secret identity in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so uh, secret identities, uh, do they really matter anymore? I mean, if it was real life, if Superman really came down here on Earth Prime or Earth One, whatever our Earth is considered, you know, would he really need a secret identity? Eh, I don't know. But if you're worried about uh, a bald dude in a giant green armor thing getting your secret identity anyway don't worry about it flash will save every one of us attention listeners you can follow us on twitter at flash gordon pod and join the conversation on facebook in the flash gordon minute listeners vortex stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of flash gordon minute What's your vice wish? Please.
shotgun Oh yeah Hey little sister Who's your superman Hey little sister Shotgun It's a nice day To start again It's a nice day For a white wedding It's a nice day To start again Something left in this world 